morning and welcome to today's broadcast. We are very grateful that you tuned in to share with us on the Word of God. And we want to say special greetings to your friends and loved ones as well. We are in a season of commemoration and I trust you've, you've enjoyed commemorating Ascension Day on Thursday. It's a beautiful reminder of what Christ has done and the position he has placed us in. He did not only die and resurrect, but he ascended to the highest position of privilege and of authority. And that's where we are seated with him. And that's where we, we glean and, and, and have the privilege of him interceding for us as we live each day. Today, as we said last week, we want to look at some of the aspects of end time prophecies. You know, we are inundated with calls, questions, posts, people all over asking about the Antichrist, they are asking about triple six, they are, they are asking about is it this, is it the end? So what we'll try and do today is introduce you to some of the, the aspects that will help you navigate this time with confidence. And then next week, because then we are still commemorating, we'll be commemorating the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, when the Holy Spirit was introducing and heralding last days to us. So we will pause this topic a bit and, and zoom into that, into the day of Pentecost and we will continue thereafter. So what I want us to do from the onset is to explain what we aim to do and what we are not intending to do so that as we flow together we are on the same page the expectations that you have have been clarified and if we don't address what we have not promised to address you don't see there disappointed oh i thought they'd tell me who the triple six is and as i was thinking about this topic i thought oh, what would be the right title initially i was pondering hmm, let me let me go rather a bit controversial let's say um preparing for the coming of the Antichrist. But that gives a wrong impression because the Antichrist is really not our attention. Our attention is Jesus Christ. We are and Therefore, the, if we were to give a topic, at least it would have to go in that direction of creating an anticipation for the coming of Christ. So what I thought would be ideal is to give our discussion, this title, Confidence in Christ in the End Times. And so what I, I, I would want to highlight first is what do we not intend doing? So you can't expect this discussion to, to detour to those elements that I'm saying we don't necessarily intend covering. We don't intend 
giving an eschatological discourse to determine who's the antichrist what does triple six mean so we're not going to go into things of eschatological schools of interpretation in other words whilst we're talking on end times the intention is not to stand here and talk about the different schools of interpretation or the the the, the historicists say this the preterists say this you know the futurists say this i'm not going to talk about millennialism in any form or another i'm not going to cover what images mean or no would i want to venture into numerology this number means this or that number means this and I, I i certainly don't intend identifying who is the antichrist that those are subjects for face-to-face -face engagement where we can talk about what we agree on or disagree on so let's highlight what therefore do we intend covering what are we planning to to talk about the idea is to help you as a believer not to be caught in speculative theologies that induce fear in your heart is just to hopefully alleviate you know uh, whatever confusion that you may have in your head about some of this stuff and to inspire confidence that as we go through these things the finished work of christ will take you through if you navigate with a proper understanding and we want to give you a proper let me say a clearer eye way good clearer spectacles of how to interpret some of the stuff so that when you read the book of revelation we want to give you tools that you can use that when you read you are not overwhelmed one you are not scared you are not wondering is it the end of the age but you are at a place where you are aware that this is one book of the bible like any other book that demands proper interpretation rules so that the facts that you go about as you live your life are properly informed by what christ pray for us heavenly father we thank you for your word that is true your word that is life your word that sanctifies us and separates us from the rest of the people all over the world that have denied or rejected that Jesus Christ is Lord. This morning I pray for simplicity of speech, Lord, for clarity, not eloquence, Lord, not any of the things that seem aloof to the hearer, but I pray that as we go through the scriptures, Holy Spirit, you will broaden our understanding we open our hearts to you to illuminate them with your light your light of truth so let truth enter our hearts as clarity and understanding comes let fear dissipate and let jesus be glorified we pray amen so
what I want to start off doing, because this week we're just doing um, introduction. What I want to start off, therefore, as a point of departure, is to give you vital, what I call vital facts, facts that you should enter the, the, the interpretive mode or the reading mode of revelation with. Of course, there are other end-time prophecies in Daniel, in other aspects of the Bible, but I'm only intending to help you navigate revelation as a book and as a letter that was written to the churches. So here are a few vital facts to consider before you engage with end-time prophecies in a meaningful and helpful way. Number one is that what God spoke in his word and determined for end times will come to pass whether we pray against it or not. So what God has prophesied for the future, whether we think of the book of Revelation as a future uh, event book or past or whatever the case may be, the point that I'm highlighting is come to pass whether we we stand against it or we are for it if you read in in this is what god says in isaiah 46 verse 10 he says i make known the end from the beginning from ancient times what is still to come i say my purpose will stand and i will do that which i please and this is, is, is the commentary on, on, on Revelation, why Revelation is, is written. I'm reading Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 to 2 in the NIV says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So first thing, what we will see is what God has determined and therefore it will not be thwarted nor changed. Secondly, I want to look at the apostolic relationships with the letter. In other words, I want to highlight the fact that all apostles died without knowing the contents of Revelation. Why is this fact important? One, it means they never read it. In the, and that implies that they preached Christ, they were saved, and they died having not read the book of Revelation, which means the apostolic message of salvation, the apostolic message of redemption is not changed by the content of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, therefore, introduces nothing new to the work of the cross of Christ and of salvation. Thirdly, when you read from Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Therefore, you are blessed through reading and hearing. 
but you are not saved. Therefore, the content of our salvation does not emanate out of the, 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 the message of revelation. It is apostolic. It is way before. So you can't approach the book with a sense of, uh, it will it determine my salvation. It doesn't. Fourthly, it is a revelation, not a demonstration. And somebody wonders, why is that important? Let me read first what Romans 5, 8 says. It says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But where we, we just read earlier on, it says this is the revelation of what is yet to come. In other words, Christ didn't come down to bring revelation. He sent his angel to give revelation to John. But to save us, Christ demonstrated. He came down. The implication of this difference is that the message of the finished work of Christ supersedes the content that is there in, 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 in Revelation in importance. Next. Revelation was written to people who were already well versed with the basics of their salvation. Therefore, it is unhelpful to delve into the book of Revelation, not even having a working knowledge of what is con contained in the letters, the apostolic letters, and the gospels. If, if you have not gone through those, it is very unhelpful of you to go and read the book of Revelation and hope to come out with something meaningful. And the reason is very simple. It's because when the people who were reading, firstly were very well versed with the imageries used in the Old Testament. The images that the book of Revelation used these people were already accustomed to some of them in the Old Testament. And some of the stuff that induces fear in the modern reader, they had already dealt with when they were reading the letters that preceded the, the letter or the book of Revelation. I want to read Revelation 1 verse 10 to 11. And the reason I want to read, I want to establish in our minds that first and foremost, the letter was written to the seven churches, which means these churches were already established churches. And the next thing that I want to do as we read is to give examples of those churches that are highlighted and the fact that they were already well versed. These were not people who were novices about the implication of salvation. 
spirit of the Antichrist, for instance. It says in Revelation 1, verse 10 to 11, On the Lord's day I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now remember, these churches are the churches in Asia. Now, let's go to Colossians 4.16. This is what Paul says to the church in Colossae. Colossians 4 verse 16 says, After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from the Laodiceans, which means the Laodicean church had received a, a letter from Paul. We don't get the letter that was sent to it, but we know the content, the, the discipleship and apostolic content of the letter of Colossians, the Christology that is in that letter. We are told that the Laodicean church read that letter. So they were not novices. In Ephesians 1 verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The content of the letter of Ephesians has to do with Christology, with, with, with ecclesiology. So much theology is in that letter. And Paul not only wrote the letter, but he was there. He discipled the church. He left Timothy there. And it is said, even John at a later stage pastored the church. So this was a church that was well-versed with salvation and its implications. Just to take the matter deeper, let's read the, the how this one of these churches, for instance, that I'm reading from verse 1 to verse 10. It says, Whilst Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, Ephesus in Asia. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, now listen, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Reading from verse 24 to 26, it says, A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines for Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, 
you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are not gods at all. So which means these seven churches were not just people who got this letter and they had no solid background of Christology and soteriology of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the finished work of the cross of redemption. And These were the people who were rooted. Therefore, the confusion that we have that emanates from lacking the background from the Gospels and, and, and the epistles, apostolic epistles was not the case here. The next point I want to raise, the, the vital fact that you must go into this book understanding, is that the imagery used in Revelation, the beast, the woman, and all kinds of things, although some of it may have pointed to the future, it already had practical understanding from the receivers of the letter. So in other words, these churches, when they, they were reading about what this means, what that means. They were not thinking, what does the beast mean? So for instance, if you read about, there's a beast that had 10 horns that you read in Revelation, but there is a similar imagery in the book of Daniel. And when they were told what do beasts mean, what do, what do they stand for? And, and, and so they would have read the letter with that background in mind. Let me just read a portion of what that alludes to. In Daniel chapter 7, I'm reading from verse 15 to verse 28. It says, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. And that point is very important, that the, the holy people of God will possess eventually the kingdom because that's the thought and that's the Part of the theme and the message of the book of Revelation, contrary to this pessimistic, fatalistic view, we have an assurance that finally we win, finally we reign with, with the Lord Jesus. It says, Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was in its way, whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched this horn was waging war against the holy 
and defeating them until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. Later on when we make other comments, it is important to understand that when it says they, the, the, the beast defeated the holy people, it doesn't mean they denied their faith. It doesn't mean they recanted their belief in Christ. It doesn't mean they are the, the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ was lost. What it means is that people died. And, 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 and the, the thought of people dying because of the evil forces against them is not a new thing. We read about it in the book of Hebrews. It will continue until Jesus Christ comes. As I watched, this one was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the ancient days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave them, he gave me this explanation. Now he tells, the, the angel tells Daniel, the, the, what do these images stand for? And I'm not saying they stand for the same things or not in the book of Revelation. I'm just highlighting the point that when the original readers read, they had a background, they had a reference point of what this would mean. It says, the fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns and ten kings will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and half a time. But the, the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Next, here's another vital point. We live in the last days, but we are not necessarily the last generation. So you don't have to always be preoccupied and consumed with the fact that, are we going to die? Is, is this the end of... No. It may, it may not be, but that should not even be your concern. We'll come to what should be your concern. Reading from Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 2, from verse 17 to 18, it says... In the last days, now this is on the day of Pentecost. Peter is speaking, he's explaining the prophecy of Jewel. He says, in the last days, 
pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Let me just go ahead of myself here. That when the stuff that happens in the last days happens, God's response is, or God's solution is, pouring his spirit upon the church. Therefore, the church is God's answer in the last days. And therefore, the church must be able to navigate these times with confidence and know that we are the ones who have to come up with the the, 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 the answers. We don't have to live in fear and trepidation and, 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 and be scared as every other person is. But we need to have the revelation of what has already happened, which serves as, a, a, as an anchor and makes us steadfast for what lies ahead. So in the last days, God pours his spirit. Second Peter 3, I'm reading 3 verse 3 to verse 4, and I'll read verse 8 to 9. It says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Critics will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, you, 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 you will have those who say, yeah. They've been saying it's end times, we will die. They've been predicting we won't die. That view is fatal in a sense that you presume an, a, a prolong, prolonged and an elongated time of life without considering that you might even die today. Without considering that Jesus can come any day. On the other hand, the message of God also elongates time for our salvation. Therefore, when the apostles were preaching about end times, to them it was eminent. Everyone, Paul, Peter said, the day is near. Let us live right. The day is near. So the day is always near, but it is within the time of God. And so whilst we're thinking, phew, the day could be now, let us not now suddenly fall into a panic as people have done. Some people have done these things 100 years ago. Others, we know of people now, I'm sure you know some people who sold land, who, you know, there was a time when they, they, there was a, a Y2K thing that, oh, at the millennium end, the world will, will end and there will be chaos. Wow. That time came, we slept. The following day, everything was normal again. So let's not read into things and 
get into unnecessary panics. That's the point I'm trying to make. The next vital fact is that times and dates are, known, are not known to us. Therefore, speculation about times and dates is a futile exercise. What the Bible says you must do is get yourself prepared to meet the Lord. That's what matters. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 12, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. We will expound on that later on. Prepare yourself in holiness and godliness and speed up the coming of the Lord. Mark chapter 13, speaking, speaking of the times, as the disciples are happy, Jesus says today, Mark chapter 13, verse 32 to 33. But about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Listen to his advice. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. So, you must go with these things in mind. Yet, what I think is of the greatest importance is how you understand the basics of salvation. How do you... We, we preach this salvation Sunday in, Sunday out, week-long, month-long, year in, year out, but it doesn't sink in people's hearts. So much so that when people now, they are faced with what seems inevitable, something that scares them. They don't have a reference point because they have not been concentrating on what was supposed to be their stance, a podium, their, their steadfast point. So what I want to do is cover few of those basics. So I will be cross-referencing, going to Revelation, just to clarify, why is this basic tenet of our faith important for you when you go to read the book of Revelation? So we will cover a tenet and then look at how it, uh, it's applicable in the book of Revelation. So for today, we'll just cover just one of those. And as I said, next week, we will take a detour into... Um, uh, we, we, into Pentecost and then we will resume with other aspects of the basics of salvation as it applies to your interpretation of the book of Revelation. So the one I want to cover today is pretty simple because we all know when people are, are, are are responding to the altar call. Normally we tell them, when you come to Jesus Christ, if any man be in Christ, 
He's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We tell them that as of today, the Bible says, as many as have received him and have believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. The children of God are called as with Christ, your sins are forgiven. And one of the most important things we mention is that as of today, if you are regenerated, your name will be written in the book of of life and that is very important because other people go to the book of revelation without a solid conviction that having accepted jesus christ as lord and savior my name is written in the book of life so let's look at why it is important so that is the first basic we want to cover god's children have their names written in the book of life. I want to read in Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 22 to 24. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Listen to this. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better way than the blood of Abel. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my sight in the cause of the gospel. So Paul is talking about some women that were having some quarreling affairs between them. He's, he's asking, he's appealing for mediation. But he highlights that these women were her were his co-workers in the preaching of the gospel, which means these women were born again. These women were, were the witnesses of Christ. They were children of God. He says, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Now, most people are thinking... Yo, when the beast comes, people are going to have to worship him. They, they will have the mark of the beast on their, their foreheads and their hands. That is true. As I've already said, what God has declared will happen, will happen. But now listen to the distinction as to whom what shall happen. Reading Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. We will read those chapters in details when we uh, get to that point. It says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So when it says all inhabitants, and it repeats all, 
That all refers to the same all of all inhabitants, but it is not everyone. It is the all of those whose names are not written in the book of life. It doesn't mean all in its all inclusive. No, it's not all inclusive this time around. It doesn't include those whose names are written in the book of life. So if you are thinking, you I'm scared as a child of God, I will I will perhaps worship the beast. Well the chances are that's very unlikely. But we will come to that. Why I say it's unlikely when we cover other basics. In Revelation 20, verse 15, it says, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. When you read in, in, in chapter 20, it talks about books were opened and another book. So books were opened and everyone who ever lived, isn't, their actions are written in the, in the books. But in the book of life, only those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have their names written there. Revelation 21, 27 says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, speaking of the city of God. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. The Bible says he gave them power to trample underfoot scorpions and snakes and all the power of the enemy, you know, and nothing by, shall by any means harm them. By the way, they did die. The enemy killed them. The enemies of the cross killed them. But when they were coming, they had cast demons and so on and so forth, and they were excited. And now Jesus cautions them. He says, Luke 10, 20, However, do not rejoice you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So that's where I want us to, to stop for today. That our point of departure is that when you go into reading this book, notwithstanding everything I have mentioned as vital facts, it is important to read it with a view that I'm not necessarily going to be a defeated victim of the devil. My name is written in the book of life. Whatever happens, does not change that. Perhaps what is even more important at this introductory stage is to ask this question, is your name written in the book of life? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Are you regenerated in your spirit? Because if you are not, you are not excluded in the all that will if this is something that is still to happen, assuming the, 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 the Antichrist was to come. All those who are not 
written, whose names are not written in the book of life were to worship him. You will not be excluded if your name is not in the book of life. But if your name is in the book of life, this is a point to start taking courage and confidence in the fact that I'm a child of God. What am I supposed to do? Be alert. Be sober. Exercise yourself unto holiness and godliness as you anticipate the coming of the Lord. I just want to thank Jesus for today. We have not covered extensively a lot of stuff, but it is important not to be presumptuous, not to just go and read the book without helping all of us step by step to get into the book with a clearer view of what we are looking for in the book. And so in two weeks time, meaning the week after the, 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 the coming one, we'll then delve deeper, go past the introductory stage into other aspects that will help us develop greater confidence in the finished work of the cross that will help us as children of God to not be confused with everyone, to take the necessary steps out of faith and not fear. And may I remind the person who's not born again again, you must be born again. You must go to Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. You can read the whole uh, chapter 10 of Romans. You have to believe in Christ. Meet, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Argue all you want with us, but just be sure, when the day of the Lord comes, you won't argue with Jesus. If Jesus does not come, and if one of the schools of thoughts of end times is right, and the beast and the Antichrist will come, and you will be forced to worship him, then you will have no option on that day. So whilst there is time, tell Jesus, Come into my life and be my savior. I believe you died and rose again for me. And I thank you. Let's meet again in two weeks' time. Shall we pay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And so we declare with confidence because of the regeneration that has happened in our hearts. And we are rejoicing in the fact our names are written in the book of life. Our names are recorded in heaven. Our names are in the book of the Lamb. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us in Jesus' name. Pray for the sick, let them be healed. To your glory we pray. Amen.